Tuesday over team seven generations. Black is back. And what do I need you to do? Share this out right now on your network. Let's create some engagement. Let's get this going out. The conversation is going to get great. It is season four, y'all. We made it to season four, episode one. So you know what it's time for. It's time for some unbotten, unbossed perspectives. Welcome to Seven Generations Black on CTN Media, where we're changing the narrative in media. Share this out right now. My people on Facebook, like it up. And then when you're going over to YouTube, make sure you subscribe to CTN Media. Make sure you super chat us up and keep supporting independent Black media. Thank you for joining us again. Welcome to season four, episode one. Welcome my team in the building. Where y'all at? Where y'all at? Hey, y'all. What's up? Welcome back. I'm super excited. Happy New Year, um, new season, new agenda, same hustle, new grind, whatever it is for you. Welcome back. Let's get this thing going. Welcome to Seven Generations Black, a podcast powered to equip and inform, clear your lens, and present you with a new perspective with Theo E.J. Wilson, H. Soul, Lethal, our lady Jace Johnson, and I'm your girl Shay J. We are seven generations black. I hope you share this out. I know we left you for a little bit. We had to give you, I think it was like, what, a week, two weeks? But we're back. Share this out right now, you guys. Let's go. You know, more now than ever, it's time for conversations like these. And these are, again, conversations for the community. But we want your engagement. It's all about how do we get through this together. So you tuned in to the right time and the right topic. Because today we're going to dig in on the role of the Black community in the siege of America. Yeah, it's going to get good. So you know what I have to do. I have to hit you with the red pill alert. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. This is your opportunity to stop listening and tune out now. Well, if you do, the story ends. And you can go back to your bed and you know, wake up and believe whatever you want to believe. But if you stay here with us, you go on a liberatory discussion and we show you just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Of course, now the option, it's yours. But welcome to Seven Generations Black. We're excited. Again, I want to introduce you to my phenomenal panel. I got my guy from Shop Talk Live, Theo E.J. Wilson. Make sure you check out his new speaking. Um, he has a speaking camp, and you need to be in it. Because if you're serious about your game, you know iron sharpens iron. So get with my guy, Theo E.J. Wilson. We'll drop it in the link so you can see what we have going on. Honorable Protector Initiative, who I just sat down and did a dope interview with today, Lethal. That's up, bro? I got my candles this time, babe. I'm ready. Yes, we need that energy flowing. Yes, yes. The Righteous Rage Institute, keeping us healthy, mind, body, and soul. H soul. Oh, look at mind, body, soul, H soul. I didn't even know I did that. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Holding it down for the ladies, of course, the one and only Black Business Initiative CBO, Jace Johnson. What up, Jay? What's and, up? Uh, it's time. It's absolutely time. So I think that we all can agree that we all hope and we pray that 1159 on December 31st, everything would be over. The things that we call seditious insurrection, the foolishness we hoped and we prayed it would all end before going into 2021. But the magic wand didn't work. The US Capitol, Capitol it was stormed. It was stormed, it was taken, there was crimes, lives were lost. The presidential inauguration and state capitals across the country were being threatened and are still being threatened. And this is all occurring while people watch friends and foe. They watch captivated in complete shock. This brings us to today's conversation and question. What is the role of the black community in the siege of America? Better yet, do we even have a role on whatever is going on. How will ensuring this chaotic uncertain impact our community? How do we look at this? You know what we're gonna do. We're gonna address this from a seven generational lens. It's time to talk. A lot's been going on in the world and you're here to talk with your favorite team, Seven Generations Black. So let's go ahead and dig in. Again, our topic today, the role of the black community in the siege 
of America. I'm going to kick this off with a guy that just brought so much wisdom in lethal. What's going on right now? You're in DC, so you're getting first-hand accounts, bruh. What is going on? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hectic out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, people work in and around. If you have to travel through uh, DC or anything in nature to get to where it is you need to be, um, they're telling you to basically, you know, telework from home. Uh, the mayor here in DC is putting out, along with the uh, the governors of Maryland and Virginia, you know, they're putting out guidance basically telling people, hey, um, don't come to DC, don't come to the Capitol uh, right now. Um, the DC mayor uh, put in a request to suspend or postpone, cancel all requests for First Amendment demonstrations in the district now. Um, you know, I think um, two of the Capitol Police officers, because of their actions last week, have been suspended. Um, about another 10 or a dozen of them are being um, investigated. There is a Secret Service officer who's being, um, I think, you suspended as being investigated as well. Um, we ain't hear about that. We ain't hear about that. Right. I'm like, we're getting first in accounts. Go there's ahead. At least, there's at least, um, there's at least, I think it's about a total of 160 uh, investigations going on right now. Um, there's about maybe 25 to 30 investigations going on looking at uh, military members, active, mm -hmm. retired. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Wow. I mean, I think that we all feel it, you know, around the world, we feel it, but you being right there firsthand, when you feel the community, can you feel the black response from the community right now? Is there a different response depending on what, you know, side of the town you're on or what does that feel like emotion, like heaviness or not, or what does that feel like? So I don't know if people really realize this or not, but in this general area, the federal government is a huge employer of uh, black people, people from our community. It is a huge employer. I would say it's the number one employer. That's, yeah, I was gonna say that's nationwide. Yeah, and I would also say that, you know, you it's not just federal government as in like government civilian, but mm -hmm. you also have those companies that are like contracted, right? Provide a service to the federal government, right? They yeah. also, are huge employers of, of people, you know what I mean? And as I said before, Shay, when we were talking earlier, you know, I've been around for a minute. I've been in this government thing for about 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Coming up on 31. Um, I haven't seen this sort of uncertainty, I would guess I can call it, right? To be politically correct about it. I haven't seen this type of uncertainty since 9-11. Wow. Wow, that that's huge. I think we've been so disconnected from 9-11 for a while that we kind of, you know, you push things back. And then when you feel a new breeze or something like this, you start to be able to really identify different levels of trauma. And the people who've lived through, you know, these certain, certain turmoils. Um, Lethal, the firsthand account of, of what's going on brings me to my next question. What is the role of the black community in the siege of America? Like, is that a question for me? I think you can start it off and I'm gonna kick it to the other people, but you can start, don't okay. do too much now. We got a whole panel of people that gotta talk now, brother. Not, not, don't, try to, don't try to kill the game. No, no, I <laughs> ask gonna be very short and very simple, right? Since we as a people don't even have our economic game together collectively to practice group economics, we have no role in what's going on right now. So we need to sit back and mind our business. Well, you heard it here on Seven Generations Black. I hope you go ahead and share this out on your network. Go ahead and create engagement because the conversation just got started and we're starting out blazing with our guns blaring. Um, I know Theo E.J. Wilson, you've been an activist since activists been activists, um, even when you didn't want to call yourself an activist. So I just, you know, when you look at this right now and I'm losing you, Shay. Shay, your, your, your microphone's going out. 
Oh no, is it back? Yeah, now it's back. Sometimes it doesn't back too far. It does this weird thing. It has a mind of its own. It's it's the devil. Um, trying to stop us. <laughs> so, as you were looking at what happened on Wednesday, um, what what was the response to that? What what did you feel? What is your response to what's going on right now? And what is the role of Black American, if any role, in this? I'm going to be honest. My first response was like, and the season finale has arrived. It's going down in flames today. And it was like, so there's a part of me that's invested in all of this simply because by paperwork, I'm an African with an American passport. You know what I mean? And because of that, I am involved in this to a certain level. But I have just taken a general stance spiritually that if you can't change that shit directly, grab mm. your popcorn. Grab your pop. If there's nothing I can do, there's nothing I can say to stop the siege of the Capitol. You see what I'm saying? Like then at this point in time, I fought my fight. My my fight. I have been literally in activism since I was 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. I have put in work in, them, in my community to make this better. I've talked to black folks. I've talked to white folks and everybody in between trying to get these dialogues popping. My page is full of my perspectives. There's no question on where I stand about this. What I saw was chickens coming home to roost, man. Ooh. I mean, there was just chickens coming home to roost. I said to myself, so listen, white America, and I have a whole live stream I, I, I did about this. You haven't checked your shit. You haven't dealt with who you are. You've always been the greatest threat to yourselves. You were afraid it was gonna come first from Native American insurrection. That's what they first feared, right? Then when they cleared out the Native Americans to set up the plantations, they thought it was gonna come from the Africans. But then they had the War of 1812. It was like, Britain's gonna finally take over this place. That's the last time the capital been overrun, 1812. But I was like, no, you've always been your own greatest enemy. All the surveillance, all of this effort, all of this cointel pro shit to shut down black activists, all of these assassinations, you know what I'm saying? All of this infiltration to try to destroy our forward momentum. All we were trying to do was warn America about herself. If you listen to the first, you know what I'm saying? Like literally the first 12 minutes of I Have a Dream was America be true to what you said on paper. We've been trying to be America's integrity medicine and you won't take it. We've Here's been trying food. to be America's integrity medicine. And you won't take it. And so I'll just leave with this. You may be, somebody said this in a rap. You may be above the reach of laws of districts, but you never will escape the fucking laws of physics. There's some universal shit that's popping here, man. And nobody's above it. Not the president, not nobody. And it just is time that that wave that they put out we're in the season of reckoning and reaping what you sow, and that's what it's going to look like. And they're not done yet. They're not done. They're not done yet. Wow. Um, th this is a, this is a lot to unpack. As we start to think about what we're seeing, Jace, I think you had an interesting perspective that I only got to see like one piece of it, and I didn't see the rest. Um, but who are these people? They're not Trump supporters. Are they Trump supporters? Are they white supremacists? Who are these people? What happened? Who are these people? What, what are we watching? Uh, well, I think that you're, are you referencing a post I made about like not I calling so. them Trump supporters? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know if that answers like the question of what our role is in this, but to the point of, you know, I think the, that we give them too much, I think we give Trump too much credit. I, and I think we give them a pass, right? So what I hear is Trump supporters this, Trump supporters that. And I was like, no, I mean, Trump is the platform, right? Trump is the first old white man who got up and said, it's okay for you to be racist and bigoted and violent, um, yeah. which they have been working, uh, kind of sort of working, I'm going to say that lightly, to suppress for the last, you know, for the previous decade, go, you know, dealing with Obama, right? So, um, you know, we, we've seen... I think we've been seeing a slow boil. And I think that, you know, Trump was just the one to kind of turn up the heat enough to really allow it to start overflowing, right? But it's not like he's the mastermind behind anything. He really is just the platform that has allowed these violent white racists to voice their opinion, voice it comfortably, enact their violence, feel like there are no consequences, 
there there haven't really been any consequences. So, you know, I mean, this is, I, I don't attribute this to Trump. Like, I think it could have been anybody who opened up that that box or opened up that door and said, let's have a free for all. And I'm not going to stop you. I think that, you know, I think you're amazing American patriots. Like that could have been any old white man who gave them the ability to do that. Quite frankly, it probably could have been a white woman and they would have been all right with that too. Woo. And just a follow-up question while you're there, what is our role? The black black community, is there a role for the black community in the siege of America? I mean, I, I feel, I don't feel like, I don't think there is, right? I think that in this space, um, and, and I want to preface that by saying like, as I've been talking to people from a variety of backgrounds and like, and experiences, and on the one hand, like you hear people in utter shock. And then on the other hand, you know, you hear people who are like, like Theo said, grab your popcorn, right? And sit back, which is kind of my stance. Like I was watching everything like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Like I need some wine and I just am going to sit back and see what's going on. But I do understand that, at, you know, and I've talked about this before. I think we sit in a space where when you spend enough time around people who are educating themselves on history, educating themselves on what's happening, we tend to, to think from the lens that everybody gets what's going on, but everybody doesn't get what's going on. And some people legitimately are shocked, even despite everything that's happened with protests. I mean, because even this summer when we talked about protests, you know, like, it's almost like we forgot protests around Tamir Rice. We forgot protests around Trayvon Martin. We forgot other protests that have been taking place, right? And it was like, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Like that's the latest set of protests that just so happened to have taken place during a pandemic that, you know, that compounded things. But yeah. in that space, I think it's important for us to recognize that everybody really doesn't get it. Like there are some people who don't understand that our government is not on the side of black people. And what I think that black people need to understand when we're thinking about what our role is, is to understand how often we have been used as pawns for mm -hmm. agendas that don't benefit us. Yeah. In this space, you have old white man and old white man who are fighting over essentially over power. And there's a whole lot of layers to that, but it's essentially over power that neither white person has said they are going to advocate for the black community or advocate for black empowerment or advocate to bring black people out of the hole. And if we think that blanket statements really make that, you've got to go back and look at what their policy, what stance they're taking on policy. They are willing to talk about immigration. They are willing to talk about LGBTQIA. I might be missing an acronym. They are willing to talk about um a lot of other policies and they're willing to talk about people of color, uh, gaps and disparities. They are not willing to address a black agenda like at all. So I don't understand why they can talk about immigrant policies, but they can't talk about black agenda policies and that goes for black politicians. So we are really looking at another layer of benign neglect, which is to use black people for our, their benefit to move forward their agenda, but not to actually promise black people under the guise of anything that's specific to black people, even though they can be specific to LGBTQIA and they can be specific to immigrants and they can be specific yeah. to other things. And when we have seen that, like over, I think it's over in Portland where they did put out a loan specifically to the black community or put out a fund specific to the black community, they are now being sued by the brown community for why they get why the black community is getting supported. Mm -hmm. So I keep going back to the to the space of we keep saying black and brown. Black and brown people aren't saying black and brown. I mean brown people aren't saying black and brown. Black people are saying black and brown. Black people are saying people of color. Black people are saying minority. When you get into these back spaces, they are advocating for their own socioeconomic group and they are using black voices and black bodies and black stories as the forefront to advance those agendas. So in this space, we don't have this space. We need not be used to advance white power in either direction. That's uh, good. So is over because she just wrapped it up. Right. No, literally. I was like, well, and I, it was really good seeing everybody. Welcome back. <laughs> you know, as we're doing this, I, I have to be real and we have to we have to dig into a space because there are black people that are sitting there and they're feeling like they're a part of this fight. Um, it brings me to one of the stories that I've seen. And I would love for you to um, chime in on this. soul because I really want to get this to from a space of where we're trying to heal our community. Um, one of the things it was a really weird scene. I was watching a scene where we've seen the protesters who chased out an African-American police officer. They chased him on the Capitol steps. He was chased by a group of white people. 
a police officer that was fully armed and fully available to do his job was, that was completely chased off. And so black people were responding saying, well, what did you want him to do? What was he supposed to do? And then there's another you know, group of black people saying, we're still trying to heal from the other things. And you know, there's a racial double standard that we're completely watching happen. Um, Eight soul, I just need to know how do we wrap our heads around this? How do the black people that are still just you know, taking in the news constantly don't really have anything to combat these things? How are they supposed to even look at this, see this? What is that officer supposed to do? Like, what do we do? We're confused as a people right now. Yeah, we were we were confused before this, right? This is not the this is not what initiated our confusion. Um, you know, insofar as the black police officer and things of that nature, like I, I think that's delving into minutia uh, of of the circumstance, right? That's PMZ worthy, and you know that is what it is. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not going to say anything that no one that Lethal, Jice, and, and Theo have not really nailed down already. Like the issue is nailed down as far as the black community is concerned. They covered that. I think the, the only analysis that I would add to it is, is the class analysis in the sense that we had an opportunity to witness Cooter, Jethro and them march from Tennessee and Florida I don't know if y'all saw a picture. They had a they had a picture of Cooter in them, right? Cooter in them, goddammit. There's about 15 of them. There's about 15 of these these white folks. And between all 15 of these white folks yelling and the camera got them while they were yelling, they had about 17 between, between all of them. And here's the issue. Do you know they don't want no Obamacare though? On their way from Florida, on their way from Tennessee, do you know how many dental offices that they yeah. had passed nah. before they reached DC? But here's the point that I'm making. <laughs> the, here's the point that, I, that I'm saying down here <sighs> is that they don't recognize that where they're going is not is not the root of the issue every place that they're passing along the way every place that they're surrounded by is the issue mm. right you have to go to dc these people have more in common with black and brown poor people than they could ever have in common with the person whose gear they're rocking and battling for in order to uh, ascend to their you know to 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 to, to this great glory that the, that they're looking for. That's the first point that I would like to make as, as, as far as a class analysis is concerned. That's good. What we saw were the overseers. Right? These are these white cats were the overseers of, of old plantation yesterday. The, one, the ones that we would call rednecks. The ones that had to sit out in the plantation field and get their necks burnt and rich masters called them niggas behind their back too, just so that we're clear. They were just white niggas, right? That's who they are, and as far so, what we're witnessing is a is the manipulation again of of those those that group of people. In conjunction with that, what we're also uh, observing, and, and this is to Lethal's point, this is to Jason's point, is that we as black people should um, take this as an opportunity to understand, and Lethal's gonna love this part. <laughs> I think people should study the Gulf of Tonkin and understand that don't nobody, listen, I lived in DC for eight years. When I was in DC, DC has about nine police agencies in Washington DC alone. It is the most policed space in America next to probably Fort Knox and the Pentagon. You don't, don't shit go down in DC. To believe that somehow Cooter Jethro and them rolled up in DC without anybody, you know, rolled up into the most secure place without the collusion of the United States yeah. government, the assistance of the United States government is foolhardy for us. So then what we have to ask ourselves mm -hmm. is why? 
What is the message? What were they creating for us to talk about? And it's not about the black dude who shouldn't have been a police officer in the first place down at the, as soon as he saw Trump, the Trump hordes, he should have asked for sick leave. Like, yo, um, I got a little trickle in my throat. I see, you know, Ellie May and them coming down the street the road, it's time for me to bounce. And might so, be COVID, it might be a little COVID going on. Yeah, yeah I, I, COVID, I, caught, I got the Rona, right? I got a, right. he should have bounced in the first place. The ancestors gave him an opportunity to ask himself, which side are you on? And he cleared, they got cleared up very quickly. So I'm really, I really would implore us to do two things. Like I said, to look at how deluded, how deluded white working class poor people are, and how willingness they they are to defend whiteness over above their own class interest, and for us to understand what is really what was that show on Wednesday really about? What was it really? Can I? Please do. I would love to hear a recap. real quick deal. Just, just real quick, right? I want us to take a take a guess at who said this. If you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. Linda Baines Johnson, baby. Absolutely. LBJ. That's LBJ. Absolutely. The only reason why I know that is because I used that in one of my most recent videos. And so here's what it is. The moral compass of the country has always been black people. We understand that. And the fact is, is that when Soul points out that black, brown and poor people, poor white folks got more in common, we're right. We've been inviting them to this part of the conversation for a long ass time, right? So when brown folks do go and advocate for themselves, we talking about Mexican, Chicano, we ain't even talking about the niggas over there, right? Um, they leave us no other option but to talk about shit that's just for us. But the fact is, is that we've always known that we had more in common than the man on top, right? We This is just what it is. And so when they ignore that, they suffer the consequences. And all I saw was consequences and repercussions. What I looked at was, number one, I, I don't know if you saw this video, but this white dude getting beat up by the police talking about you're treating me like a black person. Yeah. You motherfuckers didn't pay attention anyway, moving right along. Um, we could have told you. Right, yeah, yeah. You're treating me like a black person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, you're right. There's no way that they could have got that far without police infiltration and aid. What I'm seeing is just the universe. I'm really seeing the universe expose shit that Nick's been saying for a long time. Morgan mm -hmm. Martin on his program had a hashtag called hashtag we tried to tell you. Hashtag <laughs> we tried to tell you, right? The, the, the collusion between white supremacy and police. This fascism, right? Let's be honest. What we live in is a fascist state, a far right fascist state. This is what we're really dealing with. And fascism and racism has always gone hand in hand. We, the people, the black people, have known that the that they're going to collude with these folks for the longest time. It is what they, if you would have asked just random police officers who they voted for, nine out of ten of them will say Trump. Therefore, nine out of ten of them are in the conservative echo chamber. Nine out of ten of them believe that this shit was stolen. Nine out of ten of them believe that it's bad enough that they could have access to the freaking public officials that stole quote, stole the election, if they're going to lead him right on there. Was it Jim Clyburn said? Did you hear what Jim Clyburn said? Representative Jim Clyburn says, listen, I got two offices. One of them offices got my name on it. That ain't the one they came to. They came to my secret office. Only motherfuckers who know it is my staff and the police. There you go. Yeah. So we've been trying to tell America. I think if what's black folks role in this, I'm sorry, but the I told you so role. That's our role, right? You need to live with that's really our role. We've been trying to tell you that well, is the end. You know, who's the you that you're referencing? Who's the you that we've been we try to tell you? White America in general. White America in in general. I, I don't have a problem calling this out. Um, white America in general is working through their own delusions. The problem with delusions is that reality will assert itself in time. 
Reality just asserts itself. Black folks have never had the advantage of indulging in the illusion in the delusion in mass. Well, here's the thing, Joel. Just real quick, when you the reason why I asked for the clarification of who is the you is because what I'm sick of at this point is the liberal white pearl clutching over what took place down. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. Like, I can't believe <laughs> what we're watching in the United States. Listen, what this this is what what y'all talking about? What we witnessed on Wednesday down on DC, it what we saw on Wednesday is how white Americans got the United States in the first fucking place. That's how they looked like when they came off of the school. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's <laughs> so old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. But let's not clutch our pearls and be like, "This is not a no." This not only is that America. That is how you got America to begins with. So don't clutch your pearls and tell us that this ain't Yeah, but honestly, Ace, like to your point, and you made that point also, like where people vote against their own best interests, you know, and I go back to how powerful propaganda is. And it's like, I, I'm going to keep talking about it and keep talking about propaganda because I think that we really don't get it. Like, it's not even just liberal white people. It's liberal black people who don't get how bad America is. And they will, they just insist that this thing is in the past, we're not there anymore. We've progressed and they see pockets of it. But even, you know, what we've seen um, through there is more outrage by this than there was for, you know, um, George Floyd. Right. Like this was no cause. I mean, in terms of consequences, we we have seen them. We have seen the FBI track down and find people who were stealing podiums taking selfies. We've seen them track down and find these people faster than they've been able to get police officers arrested or fired for kneeling on someone's neck and placing them in chokeholds and busting through their doors, firing bullets that haven't had any action taken against them. And yet they've tracked down people to the depths of the bottoms of the wherevers to find people that were, you know, um, at the Capitol. So they have the ability. They know how to do it. The resources are there. It just only matters when it's white on white violence. That's so, real. So Shay, I want to read something to you all, right? Because I believe it was Brother Theo or Soul that introduced fascism, right? Mm -hmm. um, a political scientist by the name of Dr. Lawrence Britt in 2003, right? Wrote an article uh, called Fascism Anyone, right? Uh, <laughs> And he identified 14 characteristics of fascism. So here they are. Powerful and continuing nationalism. Disdain for the recognition of human rights. Identification of enemies, scapegoats as a unifying cause. Supremacy of the military. Rampant sexism. Controlled mass media. Obsession with national security. Religion and government intertwined. Corporate power is protected. Labor power is suppressed. Disdain for intellectuals, us, and the arts. Obsession with crime and punishment. Rampant cronyism and corruption. And finally, fraudulent elections. What country we about again? Yeah. I'm just asking questions, getting answers. That's all. That's it. You know, I think we're, we're going to a big. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, have you guys shared this out on your network? Yeah. I don't. I see all you watching, but did you share this with somebody? Share this out, y'all. This is, again, community conversation, CT and media. We're changing the narrative. Seven generations black. Share this out with somebody. Drop it in their DM. Let them know this is a place for conversation. And we allow and we welcome any and all perspectives. This is what it's about. We know we're not a monolithic people. So it's important that you dig in with us um, in this liberatory discussion. Subscribe, like, share, all that good stuff. And big up us up on, what's that thing called? YouTube. Big chat us up on YouTube. Go ahead, super chat us up. And let's uh, keep supporting independent black media. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about, like you guys are saying, this is not something that um, 
happen by happenstance. Um, and then we talk about really the, the cash flow of things. And we get into that because we know at the root of all things, you know, when you talk about looking at a problem, the root of the problem, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you got to figure out who the problem benefits in order to really understand where the problem lies. Um, and it's not who it's hurting, it's who it's benefiting. And, you know, one thing I think Shaka um, Lito brought into view is that a lot of these online, the big corporations, they're reporting on both ends. They're playing both sides of the coin and they're making sure that they don't, um, either way it goes, they're on the winning side, no matter what the outcome is. So when we look at the way that this is being played, um, how, how do we how do we deal with these corporations? How do we deal with our economics? How do we deal with us as a community, as black people? What does that look like for us moving forward? So, so in a corporate state, the corporation is king, but still the corporation is a slave to the buyer. You know what I'm saying? And the buyer is the voter in a corporate fascism. And that's where we are, right? So old school ideas like boycotting are still where we can leverage and use our power. You know what I'm saying? If the corporation is wielding its influence, when it starts to fall, it often falls because of consumer trends. So it's all about organizing our buying power. I think that's our role in this. And the second thing is that corporations, of course, influence elections. We know that it's not even feasible to run damn near an election on anything higher than the local level. I've seen underdogs financially win on the local level. I've never seen it win on state or national level as a financial underdog, just never have, right? Never. So what that means is that in a national election, the corporate state chooses our leaders to a certain extent. It just is what it is. The reason why the Black Lives Matter protests it's kind of upset the apple cart was the fact was that there was the the donor base on the liberal side had to weigh in and try to appropriate the movement and steer it. You know what I'm saying? We saw movement steering from John F. Kennedy actually with the March on Washington. He he did movement steering there. So liberals have done this. Conservatives do this as well. And now what's interesting is watching the conservatives who have sided with Trump even all the way through the vote on the House floor start losing their corporate funding, right? Yeah. But it's only because of fear of consumer trends. So what they're looking at is mathematically, who won the election? Joe Biden. If Joe Biden won the election, those are more consumers on that side. Mm -hmm. There are consumers on the Donald Trump side. So financially speaking, it makes more sense to go with what Joe Biden's buyers mm -hmm. want to actually have happen. So when we look at this and what was the role of black people in that? Well, we flipped four states, really. Like, that's what it was. You see what I'm saying? And we flipped those states through the black voter turnout. And you can call it what it is. It, definitely those of us who may be delusional about which side is on which uh, and, and who's more dangerous. But I will say, and I will always stand by this, I saw this kind of violence coming from the right, from Trump's people. And I have no problem saying that because those are the people, the white men who are harassing black women that I know at gas stations and in traffic. There were so many Trumper white men attacking black women that I know, feeling emboldened by Trump's rhetoric that I said in order for to strike against that and to keep these sisters safe, I have to do what I gotta do to remove them from office. Will they act out? Yeah, but would they have done that had they not been emboldened? That's where the question lies. And I think that that's a good debate to be had over there. But to answer your question, Shay, the corporations are looking at who's buying what. And Joe Biden ultimately has more buyers around his narratives, seven million more to be precise. And that's where they're going to side with. And they're going to start hurting the Republicans because of that. So here's the thing, Shay. Here's the thing, everybody. Right. Theo just made some very good points. And I hope right. when I was doing this and this and pointing to the brother, I was saying, hey, y'all need to listen up. Yeah. Because the brother's making some sense. He's, yeah. he's really hitting some things on you, right? But here's what I want to add, not take away from what Brother Theo just said, right? Inaction is inaction, right? And if you don't act when you have the opportunity to act and something happens, then you are just as, you are just as much at fault as those who did the action. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you had an opportunity to do something, but you chose not to for political expediency. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and we're coming up on, I think is what, um, this coming weekend, 
right? Is the observance of MLK, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Did this brother, did this ancestor of ours not warn us about the apathy and the inaction of white, moderate, liberal, progressive people? Yes, he did. He warned us. Read his letter from a Birmingham jail, 1963. He warned us. He basically said in that letter, hey, you know what? Your decision to not take appropriate action is just as dangerous to my people as those who are. And as a matter of fact, he said they were more dangerous. Right. He said they were more dangerous than those who were actually out here hating us and trying to kill us, right? So we we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends, please continue. Exactly. So what we have to understand is this really isn't our fight, right? Because it's them against them. But we do have a role to play in influencing an outcome favorably. And that's what Theo's talking about when we talk about economics and the economical power of our people. You understand what I'm saying? There is no consumer that is of more value, right, to the manufacturer and producer of products than us. That is just a historical fact. And and, and I'm in agreement there, but I I think there's a couple of things. Like when we talk about who's more dangerous, right? And I think I want to, I want to, I want to say this carefully as to not be, as to not have this taken out of context. First of all, I think that we have to recognize that there's multiple types of violences. We, for decades, have had our men violently taken in this prison system. And that creates several layers of violence that cannot necessarily feel like the same type of physical violence that you might experience uh, um, if you are, or safety uh, levels of safety that you might experience, say, being a woman surrounded by Trump supporters at a gas station. Right. That's a physical threat to you um, with immediate, you know, physical pain. Right. But the other side of that that we know from mental health disorders and other things like that that are rarely addressed is the type of violence that can be um, distributed from a mental and an emotional and a financial um, place in our communities that are long term and long standing that last generations and generations and generations to come. We are living in what that looks like right now. So when we talk about that. The other side of that coin that I don't think that we talk about is what mobilizes us. When we have the threat of physical violence, we are more mobilized than when we have policy and legislation that we by and large don't understand. We don't know how it affects us. We can't see the effects on it for a generation or two or whatever that looks like. We don't don't see what that looks like. When we talk about who is more dangerous, it is, is the lion more dangerous or the snake in the grass? You know what I mean? Like one obviously is going to be in front of you roaring and that's scary, right? But if that, you know, snake comes up and bites you first and injects that venom, you know what I mean? Like what, what are we really talking about here? So, so I just want to throw that out there because I think in that aspect, the way that I see that is, you know, it's like the, I don't know if, if anyone has heard of the story of the dog who, who laid on a nail, right? Like the dog stayed laying on a nail and why didn't the dog get off the nail? Because he wasn't hurt. So he's, you know, the black community stays in this position of uncomfortability. Um, it, it's nothing for the dog to get up and move a couple feet over and lay back down, right? But it's like, why is that dog laying on that nail? Well, it's, it doesn't hurt him enough. So what happens when you put people into a position where they are hurt enough to make a move, right? And I feel like in this space, we still weren't hurt enough to make strong enough moves because we were still too scared to demand that the Democratic Party actually have an agenda for the Black community before getting our vote. What we were was we were scared enough of the Republican Party and all the violence that they were threatening and or physically acting out. And so in, so now what we have is we have another four years of nothingness. Like we have another four years of no promises for anything to actually change or move in our society. But we feel like white folks will get the other white folks in check and we'll be safe again to walk the streets. So I, I want to throw that out there. But to the point of where the dollars are going, um, 
like I think we need to acknowledge that there are major companies that we use on a regular basis and your point around um, around, you know, how the power of our dollars, right? There are major companies. Um, Lethal, you can throw out some other ones when I drop the ball here, but like Uber, Facebook, um, I'm about to go back and look at this text message, but Walmart, no, no, Walmart well, I Said, fuck, said, fuck, fuck Walmart at the death of Trayvon Martin. But yes, yeah. please keep going. Home Depot, Google, Coca-Cola. Yeah. So these companies, if you go start looking up these companies, these companies are literally right now putting up business grants for disenfranchised black people. And at the same time, they're funding what just took place on the Capitol. Exactly. And on top of that, if you look at the amounts that they're funding, it's almost laughable. And this is why I say perspective is everything, because I think sometimes we don't know. Like when I see someone, oh, they put a million dollars out. Do you know what? What is a million dollars? Concept of one, how little a million dollars is in the global economy, right? How little that actually helps big uh, uh, black businesses. The, the only good thing about it is they didn't have an earmark for black businesses before. What they did have earmarked before, year over year, over year, over year, and this is what I found out when it comes back to um, the, you know, when I said, I, I said, fuck, I said, fuck Walmart when the death of Trayvon Martin happened, because that's when I, that's when I learned about Alec. Alec, the American Legislative Executive Council, whatever Alec stands for. Alec, if you go and look at the, at the, companies on Alec, that was the first place I started saying, I need to shift my dollars. These companies are ridiculous and the and the policies that they are backing with their money is counterintuitive to the average person, the average white person, middle class person, whatever. What, what we're not understanding is America built the, the white middle class. Amer and this is why it's also not our fight. America built the white middle class. America did not build the black middle class. The black middle class clawed and scratched and scraped for every fucking penny that we got moving on up any type of ladder that we got to wherever we are, right? So if you made it into the black middle class, then you need to have several hand claps because you got there through blood, sweat, and tears, okay? Really? America financed the white middle class. They gave them homes, they gave them businesses, they gave them tax breaks, they subsidized their, their farms and businesses, they cut out sections of what, um, uh, the American government created the white middle class. The white middle mind. class is now angry because the American government is now destroying the white middle class. This is why I don't have nothing to do with us. They never put us in middle class. They definitely ain't helping us stay in middle class. And they did not create black uh, the black 1%. But what they have done is they have suppressed the vast majority of us to keep us as an underclass financially and economically. White folks are mad because white folks were given white middle class and now they are, they are having white middle class being taken away. This ain't got nothing to do with us. Yeah. But we need to be able to watch where the money is going because certain laws and policies that are in place allow for these, like if we know how much money they get, they gave, what we don't know is how much money they actually gave because certain mm -hmm. policies allow them to give anonymously. So now if they are giving to some of these super PACs that are pushing some of this legislation, we can't even necessarily find out how much money they actually yeah. gave. We have That's to follow right. the dollars. You cannot say that you are for the black community and for Trump and be financing both sides with no repercussions. I want to add to what Jice just said. I want to give the people some information and knowledge they can go to and pull for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. There is an organization known as Republican Attorney General's Association. Look them up. And then there is another organization that they are supported by is called the rule of law defense fund right uh, they are a 501c4 organization right they are an arm of the republican attorney general's association known as raga right and they did help organize the protest preceding the attacks on the capitol y'all need to know that go look it up there is an online publication known as documented right their job is to investigate corporate influence in politics right and they have a report out dated January 7th, 2021, okay? There is an online archived uh, website that you can go to and you can see the list, the entire list of all or some of the organizations like Uber, Exxon, Coca-Cola, Google, Monsanto, NRA, Chevron, Amazon, 
Home Depot, Walmart, Comcast. These people gave millions of dollars to these two organizations, RLDF and Raga, who funded what occurred last week. Look it up. Take the time to educate yourself because we have been, this is our fourth season, first episode, and each episode yeah. is an hour long. So we've given you for free 22 hours of free education. <laughs> Boom, we should say thank you. And you can say thank you by sharing this out on your network, going on over to YouTube and subscribing to CTN Media, and go ahead and super chat us up. That is the greatest thank you you could give us. Yeah. So it's the fourth season, episode one. As we're wrapping this up, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We do something called a mindset moment. Um, and usually I ask you, how do we look at this from a seventh generational lens with some mindset shift? But I simply believe that this is not our fight, but it is our job to educate our people. And that's what we're here to do today. So I want you to all leave the audience with one more piece of education that can help them shift their mindset in the fight in 2021. I'm going to go ahead and start off with you, Theo E.J. Wilson. My mindset moment is this. When we start our own organizations uh, and, and nation, American is, America is telling us what not to do. It's telling us how not to do this shit. You know, we are looking at, and I think Jice was very appropriate with this. White middle class doesn't even realize how the government undergirded it. It's still operating under the myth of the American meritocracy. It has no idea that if we were given the exact same policies, they would call it handouts and they would call it welfare. You know what I'm saying? Literally on up, you can look up the freaking, uh, what is this? The uh, Homesteading Act of 1862, on up to the HUD and housing improvement uh, grants that were given out on up to the civil rights movement era. So you can't create heaven by making hell for other people. That's what you can't do. America made and it never got out of the habit of making hell. It just tried to relocate where the hell would be. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And then white America felt a piece of that hell and went crazy. We've been feeling this shit for a long time. And so when I say the chickens has come home to roost, the fact is, is that there have been massive thinking errors that have been put into cultural habit in the white community. Does that make sense? Those massive thinking errors set expectations against reality. And when reality asserted itself, they didn't know how to take it. And all they had to do was listen to what black people have been saying. Hashtag, we tried to tell you. Well, and, we, and, and if you would have listened, you wouldn't be suffering right now. Had you joined us, you wouldn't be suffering right now. But now we need you to repent. <laughs> Literally repent. <laughs> and figure out how to work with integrity. If not, we are looking at the end of the American experiment and that will not last another seven generations. That part. Thank you, Theo EJ. I'm gonna go with you, Mr. H. So. Yeah, um, I don't think white folks are tripping. There's no crisis here. This is what I would consider a manufactured crisis. And a manufactured crisis is one where there's really no crisis at all. You have crisis actors, which I think were involved in this process. I think this is this is one big Sesame Street and Cookie Monster and Big Bird got loose and Jethro. It was just a hoedown in D.C. is what we just saw, a manufactured hoedown. <clears throat> and so the question then becomes, what's next? And this is my concern. My concern is that this was this manufactured crisis was created to distract people for the first 100 days of the Democrats being in office so that we take our eye off and our foot off the gas and focus even when he's not in office, right? Because he's, I believe he's, he's a distraction for the past four years. Now we get to have them for almost five years because now they're about to hold congressional hearings. Now they're about to, it's on every news channel. So now again, even though he's not in office, we are going to be focused on all of the shenanigans and not keeping our eye on the ball, which is what's going to happen within the first 100 days. What type of legislation is being pushed through? There's no way that you could tell me that America 
who has eight, who spends $85 billion in military budget could not stop the Beverly Hillbillies and them from rolling up inside of DC. <laughs> stay woke, stay woke. Stay woke, people. Wake up, stay woke, whatever it is. Take this seven generations red pill. My girl, Jace Johnson. <laughs> he didn't call them every single every name <laughs> country bumpkin name he could come up with. I missed that one. Stay tuned for next week. Country bumpkin. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, this is an this is just an opportunity for the black community if we can be strategic to take advantage of um, the focus that the white community also has right now on what is at play, and I think we have an opportunity to, you know, um, I think we have an opportunity to push the needle forward. I honestly do. Um, I think we just have to, I think we have to be be strategic. I, I full heartedly agree with um, H about this being a distraction, right? Um, but I think that if we see the distraction coming, then we can, you know, figure out a way to counteract it. Unfortunately, I do feel like the vast majority of us don't see this as a distraction. They see this as being a real, you know, threat and a real issue. Um so, you know, my, my mindset moment would be to see this as the opportunity for which it is. And if we can unify, I think we have an opportunity to use our voice um, in a way that can begin to, to change things in our direction. Thank you, Shai Johnson. Let's this is what we're here for, using that voice to make some changes. My guy, Lito. So. Put a bow on this thing for us. To Theo and, and, and Jice's point about the middle class and how it was created and things of that nature. I want our people to start to invest more in educating themselves about the past, not from the perspective of looking back to say, oh, what was me? But from the perspective of looking back to learn those lessons that you need for us to move forward, right? you are destined to repeat uh, the mistakes of the past, the missteps of the past, if you don't learn about what occurred in the past. And having said that, uh, this book right here, I'm, I'm not getting paid for this, but it's called The Color of Law. And it is a book written by Richard Rothstein, right? And this book speaks to how the white middle class was created. It speaks to how uh, we as a people uh, were segregated intentionally by the powers that we have allowed to be through the policies that they uh, enacted, right? And what we have to also understand is just because something is a rule or regulation or law if it isn't in accordance with the constitution, it's not valid. We need to understand that, right? And I always like to, and I'm getting back into the habit of deferring to the wisdom of our ancestors. And so with that, I want to simply say this, right? Standing up and educating ourselves, right? And doing what we need to do for our future generations it's about having the culture to stand and fight for your life, having the strength to go bravely in your own direction. Even if others walk away, you tread your own path. That's from our ancestors. And what we're, what we're talking about, what I'm talking about when I, when I say that, is I'm talking about us, right? One of the very first episodes we had, I said that I, we, us, you, our, are all used interchangeably to speak about us as a collective. Yeah. When I say I, I am talking about us. When I say us, of course, I'm talking about us. When I say we, I'm talking about us. When I say our, I'm talking about us. You see what I'm saying? When I say me, I'm talking about us. You understand what I'm saying? If we hold a mirror up to ourselves, 
and look at the image that's looking back at us, we we can't be pleased with what we see. We cannot be satisfied with what we see. That physical image of ourselves, that spiritual image of ourselves, that mental image of ourselves, that emotional manifestation of ourselves. We should not be satisfied. Whether we, I've said this before again, meaning we've said this before, right? Like it or not, acknowledge it or not, it does not matter. We are in a war for our very existence. Absolutely. And we are a people who are in danger of becoming and being endangered if we're not already. Absolutely. Thank y'all. I missed you. Welcome back, Seven Generations Black, coming back, black and strong as ever. And you know, we'll be back here next Tuesday, 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Remember, people, if we don't, if we don't know where you stand, we know exactly where you stand. So be cautious, stay woke, make the right decisions. And remember, keep hustling hard for your seven generations black. We'll see you here next time for a liberatory discussion with your favorite Tuesday takeover team, Seven Generations Black. Peace and love, family.